Thank you, guys. Um, I'm going to tell you. It's, it's not a church song, all right? But if you can't find the gospel in that, I don't know if, if you know Jesus. God, I want to give you all of me. But there's blood on my hands. My lips are unclean. Take me to your river. I want to go. Let's, um, let's stand to our feet this morning in reverence of God's holy word. Today's text comes from John chapter 15, verse 18. And we'll be reading through chapter 16, verse 4. And the word of the Lord says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can all be seated. John Stott wrote that persecution is the certificate of Christian authenticity. So what we gather from this quote is that being persecuted or being hated, and according to Jesus, is almost like the believer's birthmark. It's proof that you're a part of the family tree. And we ought not be surprised if we're hated or persecuted for being Christians. In fact, if we are followers of Christ, we ought to be surprised that we're not persecuted and hated. Jesus said in John 15, 20, we read it today, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So if there's not some tension between you and the world you live in, if you seem to fit into the world with ease like a hand in a glove, then you might need to self-examine and ask yourself, am I really following Jesus? Or am I following a different God? Like myself. Jesus is saying here that we're not called to an easy 
religion. But instead, we're called to be counter-cultural people, different from the rest of the world. All that being said, we're going we're gonna to go today. We're going to let Scripture speak for Scripture a little bit, okay? Uh, I, I did y'all a favor if you're a note taker. Again, three-point sermon. I don't do this much, so don't get too excited. Uh, it's probably going to be back to the old ten points next week. Uh, but today, we're going to let Scripture speak for Scripture to explain and kind of illustrate what Jesus is talking about here. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4 at the earliest days of Christianity, uh, at the first followers of Jesus. And we're going to expose the truth of what Jesus is saying in today's message. So in doing so, we're going to answer Three questions, okay? Number one, what will happen if you truly follow Jesus? Number two, why will it happen? And number three, how do we respond to hate and persecution? We're going to see this play out with Peter and John in Acts 2 through 4, and you'll see it. I promise we're going to get there. So the first question is this, what will happen if you follow Jesus? And the answer is, you'll experience hatred and persecution. John 15, 18 through 20, the first few verses here. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you read Acts chapter 2, God creates the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through Peter's preaching. And he preaches this amazing, phenomenal sermon where he develops a pattern of preaching that we're going to see for Peter later on. And we'll talk about that in a minute. What he does in his sermons, he exposes the sinfulness of the listeners and they're cut to the heart over the state of their depravity. And then he offers them pardon and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. Uh, So Peter preaches his first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and Acts 2.41 says that about 3,000 souls became Christians that day. And that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I can tell you I preached my first sermon to a group of about 200 high schoolers, and I thought it was the most amazing sermon that had ever been preached in the history of the world. And I preached with a lot of passion, and, and we got to the altar call, and I had envisioned the altar just being covered up with these kids, and crickets, baby. Nobody came. Not at all. Nothing. And so I told the pastor I was serving under at that point, hey, man, I like doing youth ministry, but I am never preaching again. And I don't know what God was thinking. Uh, but So here we are, Acts chapter 2, the church is established, and they're taking this thing Seriously, these 3,000 people that came to know Christ from Peter's sermon. It says in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, 
and distributing the proceeds to all as any had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what we see is three distinct marks of an early Christian, all right? Number one, they're devoted to truth. It says in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then we see, number two, they're devoted to each other, all right? It says in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And then number three, they had glad and generous hearts. All right? It says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So you have this sort of extraordinary group of first believers, first Baptist Jerusalem, all right? Here's what we got. It wasn't really Baptist, okay? We have this extraordinary group of first believers uh, who are drawing people to themselves exponentially, day by day, with a pattern of speaking truth, a pattern of loving each other, and a pattern of having glad and generous hearts. Not just giving, but giving joyfully and sacrificially. Now, right after this, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple at a gate that's called Beautiful. And there's a lame man there who is laid at this gate every day for 40 years or more, begging for money. So everybody knows him. Imagine if somebody sat outside the front door of Carlton Baptist every day for 40 years asking for money. Everybody in Carlton, everybody that attends this church would know who that individual was. So that's where we are with this man. He asked Peter and John for money, and Peter responds and says, Look at me. I don't have money, but what I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And Scripture says that the man leaps and runs into the temple praising God. And everybody knows him, right? So the crowd sees him and they chase in after him and they're praising God. And they're excited. And Peter sees this opportunity, this crowd gathering. He sees an opportunity to start preaching. And so he does. And if you read Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2 and his second sermon in Acts chapter 3, you'll find that these two sermons are almost identical. Peter exposes the sinfulness of men's heart. And then he offers pardon and forgiveness for those sins through the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Listen, I tell you guys all the time, I've been here for six years and I am very well aware that I'm starting to tell the same stories over and over again. Uh, 52 Sundays a year, six years. Uh, I'm, I'm about 300 sermons in at this point. So you have heard all my anecdotes about my kids. You have heard all of my Neil Smith jokes. I'm trying to come up with some new ones. And at some point, some of you are probably going to think 
this is really getting stale. But I want you to remember, here's Peter on his second sermon, and he's already recycling. Okay? So uh, he just preached this sermon a few days ago, and he's right back at the same one. So I want you to cut me a little slack, all right? Thank you, Jane. So if you read chapter 4 in the book of Acts, the religious leaders at the temple are really annoyed at the attention Peter is getting. And while he is in the midst of preaching, they have him arrested. As Peter is offering pardon, giving his altar call, the authorities are literally slapping the cuffs on him and taking him in. And in the middle of all that, the Bible says that about 5,000 men were saved. Now back in Acts 2, it said 3,000 souls were saved. Right here in Acts 4, it says 5,000 men were saved. So only the men were counted at this point, all right? So if you look at the women and you look at the children that were probably present, you're probably talking, I don't know, 7, 8, 10, 12,000 people who came to know Christ through this sermon. And so can you imagine that? Peter's being arrested and people are watching him and they're like, yeah, I want some of that. I'll take some of that too. And I don't know, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know if I would be that bold to respond to that the way these people did. I tell Jason Luke all the time, he's one of our deacons, he works in law enforcement, and I tell him all the time, if, if I mess up and I have some complete moral collapse and I wind up in jail, he's going to have to make some special accommodations to make sure I'm protected because I'm way too pretty for jail and my skin is too supple for general population. So what, what we see here, what we see here is people eyewitnessing what Jesus said back in John 15. If they hate me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. But Peter just keeps blasting it out. He's being arrested here for just speaking about Jesus. For the earliest Christians, they suffered in every aspect of life, all right? We think we're suffering when we go to the Target during the Christmas season and somebody says, Happy Holidays. But here what we see is if you were a Christian in this first church and you were a builder or a construction worker, and somebody wanted to hire you to build a temple where people could worship Caesar or some other false god, you had a choice to make. Because if you built it, you would be blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You probably wouldn't get the job. If you were a tailor and a priest from a pagan Roman temple came and wanted you to make robes for them, you would have to choose between making a living and loyalty to Christ, it affected people's social lives. Jesus said, they'll put you out of the synagogues. And it happened all the time. People were turned out of their churches, their places of worship, because they came to know Christ. It, 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 uh, Christianity was a relatively new idea. All right? So if, if a wife in a household became a Christian... A husband might reject Jesus and you would have husbands against wives and children against parents and parents against grandparents. 
There were political and legal ramifications. It was required in Roman provinces like Jerusalem that you worship Caesar as a god. So if you were a Christian, you would be guilty of illegal worship, punishable without a death. People found guilty of being Christians in Roman courts were accused of cannibalism, and they were fed to lions while crowds cheered. They were burned at the stake, and they were crucified. Emperor Nero covered Christians in tar, hung them from lampposts, and set them on fire to light his garden. Tim Keller wrote, The exclusiveness of Christian belief and their conviction that Jesus was not just a God, but the God, put early Christians on a collision course with nearly everyone in that society. So if, there's a, if you're a Christian, there's a strong possibility that you'll experience hatred or persecution because of your beliefs. And that leads to our next question. Why will it, hatred and persecution, why will hatred and persecution happen? Here's, what, here's the deal. Christianity, here's the answer. Christianity exposes our weaknesses and our flaws. John 15, 21 through 24 says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. So here's what's happening. God meets people where they are, okay? The first church was born at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 at a harvest festival. They were not looking for Jesus. They were not looking for a Savior. But Jesus found them and revealed to them through Peter's preaching the truth about their own sinfulness. And in doing so, he revealed to them their need for a Savior. Jesus doesn't show up and tell people, Hey man, you're so awesome. I'm going to die on the cross for you so we can hang out. That's not even close. What the cross does for us is reveal our own sinfulness and show us that we can't help ourselves. The cross takes the most beautiful, lovely life and smashes it to bits to demonstrate God's wrath toward our sin. Romans 5, 8 through 10 lays it out. We are weak, ungodly, sinful enemies of God, and we cannot fix ourselves. That is not the message that this world wants to hear today, y'all. That is not palatable. That leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. It's hate speech, right? It'll get, it'll get somebody triggered. Our world likes to tell us, you are perfect just like you are, and just how you are is perfect. If you're engaged in sexual sin, that's okay. You're living your truth. If, if, you're, if you're addicted to any variety of things, it's all right. You're being who you are. You're being who God made you to be. That's what the world tells you. If you're busting up your relationships with your awful attitude and your infidelity, you're okay. Because, because other people have worse issues. So we fall into this trap of 
of acceptance by the culture. A while back, I baptized a teenage girl. And she posted the videos quite a while back, posted the video of herself being baptized. And what we saw was all these people commenting and liking this. Okay? And then two weeks later, she posted on the same social media page that she was a pansexual. I don't even know what that is. And she got three times as many likes and comments for being so brave and living out her truth. Jesus doesn't meet us. And, and uh, here's the thing. Here's the kicker. She said she finally felt peace with God because she was living her truth. Lisa and I talked the other day, and Brittany and I talked about a Christian artist. She was a Christian artist named Audrey Assad. At least she sang Christian music who came out a couple of weeks ago, and she started out with she didn't believe in hell anymore. And then by the time the week was over, she said she believed in Jesus, but she just didn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Y'all, y'all, listen to me. Look at me. There is no Jesus except the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus does not conform to our standards and our desires and our wants. Sin is sin. And God is just And he will punish sin. And the definition of sin has not changed because the American definition of sin has changed. People are offended if anybody says they're doing anything wrong. They're offended by what the Bible teaches about sexuality and marriage and gender and how the church should function and operate. They're offended by the idea that there is a holy God that bears wrath towards sin. 1 Corinthians one twenty three says that Christ is a stumbling block for those who don't believe. And 1 Peter 2.8 says that Jesus is a stumbling block and a stone of offense. His word offends us. It reveals to us that we're sinful, that we have a need to be saved from our sins, and we have an inability to save ourselves. John 15, 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus has revealed to every one of us our brokenness and offers us healing. He offers us pardon if we can accept that we are sinners. And y'all listen to me. Don't come at me and tell me Jesus never said anything about human sexuality. Don't tell me that Jesus never said anything. Jesus never said anything about a lot of things, all right? Jesus never said anything about methamphetamine. Jesus never said anything uh, about frozen pizza, and frozen pizza is awful. Every word of the Bible points to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the law. 
in Him there's righteousness and there is justice. If we can accept what the Bible says, we'll know we're broken and we'll know that there's healing available. If we can accept that we're sinners. In Jesus' first sermon in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount, he begins by saying that the most beautiful, blessed, joyful people are the broken people. People who mourn. People who are persecuted. People who are humble. The people who own this poverty spirit. They recognize that they have nothing and they are nothing without Jesus. The gospel says that we are broken. We can't fix ourselves, but Jesus can. And people will hate Christianity because it exposes that brokenness and that sinfulness and that need for a Savior to make us whole. Last thing, how do we respond to hate and persecution? The answer is we bear witness. John 16, 1-4 says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the, their hour comes, you may remember. You may remember. In 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul describes himself before he knew Christ as an insolent opponent of Christianity. He had an arrogance that ignored the very facts set in front of him. The very things that God's word said in favor of his own opinions. Now, let's take just a minute and let's remember where we are in this story about Peter healing this lame man. He's been brought before the council. Peter and John have their own trial for performing this miracle in the name of Jesus. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4 verse 8. Peter is addressing the religious leaders. Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is the religious leaders, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them and is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. 
But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So the religious leaders on this council admitted they had seen the truth and the power of Jesus. And then they told Peter and John, let's not talk about this anymore. Let's keep this on the down low. All right? Let's just just kind of keep this to ourselves. But Peter and John remember. They remember the words that Jesus spoke to them. They remember Jesus dying on the cross. They remember seeing Him raised from the dead. They can't stop talking about Him. They can't stop bearing witness. No matter what kind of threats are leveled against them. I want to tell you, here's the default position of churches and Christian denominations that die. They stop bearing witness to the power of the gospel. They start worrying about whether the message is offensive, so they soften it. Let's don't talk about sin. Let's don't talk about God being a God of wrath towards sin. Let's just talk about love. Because these churches will tell you that's the gospel. Love God and love people and there's nothing else to it. They want a Jesus, but not the biblical Jesus. Me, I'm a sinner. And I need the Jesus of the Bible. You ought to hear my story. You ought to hear Nick Autry's story. Neil Smith's story. And June Moon's story. And Dave Ramsey's story. There's stories about people who have fallen time and time again and they miss the mark more times than we care for polite company to know. But there are also stories about how God will take the most broken things and make them into something brand new. My life is not a testimony to the goodness of Lee Adams. And I'm going to tell you something. When I die and my casket's sitting up here, I don't know who's going to preach my funeral. I'm sure, I don't know if Brittany will even have one. But if I do have one, do not let anybody stand up here and talk about what a good man Lee Adams was. Because I am not. I am a sinner. And like Paul, I'm a murderer. I kill people with my tongue. And I'm a violent man. I bear grudges. I'm addicted to my own self-righteousness and my own self-approval. But God, being rich in mercy, took something broken and made it Slowly but surely into something different. So we bear witness. 
Jesus said in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. It's almost a strange, contradictory statement because in John 8.12 and John 9.5, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it sounds unusual, but it speaks of the same type of relationship that the sun and the moon have. The moon has no light of its own to offer. But it bears witness to the light of the sun. We do the shining. Jesus gets the credit. If you see a beautiful house, you don't give credit to a hammer. You praise the builder. If you see a beautiful painting, you don't talk about the paintbrush. You're in awe of the artist. So when we do good works in the name of Jesus, it's God who gets the credit. He is the sun and we are the moon, bearing witness to his glory. God said in Isaiah 48, 11, My glory I will not give to another. And believe this, there is nothing impressive about Lee Adams, but there is something magnificent about the Jesus who saved me from my sin. This is a God unlike any other God. Other lowercase g gods hate sinners. But God is so immense in His compassion and mercy that He loves sinners. Romans 5.8 doesn't say, after I cleaned up and started going to church, Christ died for me. It doesn't say, after I started following all the rules, Christ died for me. It doesn't say, once I quit drinking and smoking and dipping and cussing and got my tattoos removed, Christ died for me. The good news of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for all of us who have been haunted by poor choices, are broken by our histories, are beaten down by the ugliness of life, Jesus Christ says, come now wounded and broken and poor and depressed, betrayed, crippled, rejected and abused and I'll meet you where you are and I will love you as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be but I'll love you so much I won't leave you the way you are and I will make you even with your scars so that the world can see the power and the glory of my love. And ask our musicians to come. Leonard Cohen wrote, There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. And I'm going to tell you, the light gets out through those cracks too. We bear witness to the power and mercy and love and compassion of Jesus when we're able to admit our own sinfulness and be honest about the areas of life where we fall short And give glory to God for the reckless, raging, furious love that He showed us on the cross. All He wants us to do in the words of Tim Keller, all we need is need. All we need is need. If you need Jesus and you're not afraid to admit it, you'll have Jesus. Let's stand and we'll sing. Or actually, stay seated. We're going to rest in this song, this last song. So...
Just rest in this for a moment, and then we'll have our benediction. Mm-hmm.